The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by Alt Playground. APG is more than just a place to find couples to swap with. Alt Playground is a lifestyle community for all non-monogamous and sexually adventurous people to connect and share. And you know I started a profile. Join me over at altplayground.net. That's A-L-T playground.net. The Man Whore Podcast is sponsored by HotMovies.com. Try out some ethical, paid-for porn for free with none of those hidden fees or secret subscriptions when you sign up at HotMovies.com and use the promo code MANHOR. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. Shout out to all you early voters out there. Mm. Did you know you can go vote early? Less lines, less people, less COVID, and more time for you to jerk off. This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast's public service announcement about voting. Yes. <laughs> Hi. Welcome to the show. If you're new, welcome back. If you're not, this week on the pod, I have got on author Angela Chen. Uh, she's the author of the new book, Ace. What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. Oh, this was a good one. Very excited to share it with you all in a little bit. But first, uh, you know, many of you may have seen it by now, but uh, guess who was featured in BuzzFeed recently? Hey, I don't always, you know, take time to mention uh, when I get some nice press, but oh, this was fun because the title of the article is Meet the Male Sex Workers of OnlyFans. And the women they satisfy. Written by former Man Whore Podcast guest Hallie Lieberman. Uh, so that was pretty cool. I'll have a link to the article in the show notes. Uh, one of one of my clients even spoke with uh, this, this writer, with this journalist, uh, to say some very, very kind words about how I seduced her credit card. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, link in the show notes for that. But people, I, I got an email that I immediately had to text a bunch of friends about because it was woo cray cray. Um, the subject line of this is just a comment. And when you hear the length of this email, you will realize this is certainly not a comment. Um, it starts your last podcast made me feel sad, excluded and suicidal. And, you know, not for nothing, I, spoiler alert, this is not going to make him feel any less excluded. And I think you're going to have less sympathy for him when we get through this email. But I know, yes, the first sentence makes it sound, oh, fuck, what did Billy do? What did Billy say? But, uh, oh, but there's more. When the COVID got big in March, I was experiencing unrequited love for one who flew off to New Zealand in the middle of my casting my spell over her face. Which, you know, we're already starting off so poorly. The whole casting my spell thing, it's not not cool anymore. You know, it was cute in the movies, but unrequited love is really just someone who's not interested in you. It means back the fuck off. But I'm not going to get into a whole thing about, you know, how it's kind of weird and uh, mildly rapey to, you know, hear a woman say no and be like, I'll convince you. Because there's just too much email here. That is still affecting me, and simultaneously, my forever fiancé 
quietly gave up on our relationship months before this happened and concealed that from me. Oh, you also have a forever fiance. Hmm. So add that to the comprehensively debilitating Trump virus class cold war. And I experience incredible abandonment such that it seems everyone wants me to disappear, to stop being and have no sexuality. Dude, I don't, literally no one's telling you not to have a sexuality. Nowhere in your email has it said no one told you to have a sexuality. I think you're being a little dramatic, but we'll get there. I'm still looking at dying a vastly underexperienced man and not having had any intimacy or lovemaking or sex in 18 months. The knowledge that death is close at hand due to COVID made me want to have at least one more magical night, but I am denied it repeatedly and seemingly maligned even for wanting it. Dude, no matter how many SAT words you use, uh, people are not going to fuck you. But there's no way to do full contact, casual sex safely and responsibly. And being an underexperienced man, I have little skill or ability that I know of in meeting my needs responsibly, despite being extremely knowledgeable and sex positive, And despite writing run-on sentences, I masturbate just fine, no problem there. Furthermore, I am not young anymore, and I look it. And of course, the Trump virus class Cold War is really doing a number on my health and looks. I don't perceive myself as old yet, but you are. Uh, I and others such as me are maligned for having feelings for younger women. Hmm. I get quite a bit of vicarious suffering from reports of inappropriate behavior which is language that should be outlawed as uh, all it does is create a vaguely threatening environment towards really expressive people. Often in their reaction to actual sex crimes and misbehaviors, commenters by implication or omission of caveat call older men creepy with no sense of the violence (laughs) tumbling from their mouth. I can't. They imply that I, I, who has pursued and been with women 20 years older than I, am a creep if pursuing or with a younger woman. I made love to those older women knowing I couldn't. Okay. I first wanted to, when I read this, I first wanted to tell them, Hey man, I was totally going to bat for you in that email I read, but, uh, you know, saying, Hey, you know, sometimes you go older, sometimes you go younger. It has to do with the dating pool. But then he says, I made love to those older women knowing I couldn't rely a hundred percent on the eye candy factor. And they were munificent with their kindness. Oh my God, dude, you don't get the brownie points when you also call older women ugly. Me, when I fuck older women, I only fuck hot older women and hot meaning people I find to be hot. You don't get bonus points for fucking older women if you're like, oh, this ugly, old, wrinkly ass bitch. I wish I wasn't doing this, but I got to put my dick in enough wrinkly, dry ass pussy in order to be allowed to fuck the 20 year olds. No, you're just a fucking weirdo the whole time. Ugh. But the sense of being purposefully made a scapegoat by women I admire is experienced as an attack on my penis, which is further proof that penises are weak. Any article about an older man and younger woman always assumes there's something wrong with the man and that the younger woman is never responsible for her part in that relationship. Same biased outlook on cheating, wherein a large part of the culture apparently believes that men cheat on their partners only with women who are not also cheating and that they have standing and that they have standing to comment on other people's marriages or perception of faithfulness. Can you think of any more examples? How about when you use the term pedophilia in your last part podcast in such a manner as to indicate you know nothing about pedophilia? Nothing. See, attached. <laughs> By the way, he attached a bunch of shit on 
pedophilia that I don't feel comfortable opening. Um, <laughs> it was like, what do I need to know about pedophilia? I'm pretty sure it means like you're attracted to children. I think that I think that's the extent of the knowledge I need in my life. Okay, if you know the difference between like pedophilia and ebophilia and hebophilia or whatever, maybe you're a pedophile. I don't know. Maybe you just know too much about this. Some of my dear progressive leaders feel it's open season on older white men and hurl vengeful words scattershot in the crowd. Want, just write your novel. Just go write your novel and st- like stop with the bullshit. Pay sex workers, write your novel, quit crying. Hey, feminists, your buckshot is hitting the good sweet ones too. Dude, you are not one of the good sweet ones. I'm just, I hate to burst your bubble. As you take vengeance on actual clinical perverts, the repression and exclusion of me from the right to pursue sex responsibly, even to have sex as a propulsive motive, our man whore quest, and sex with whomever, don't put me in with you, uh uh-uh, and sex with whomever I like and whoever likes me within the constraints of ethics and law, they're whacking my pee-pee. They're whacking his pee-pee, everybody. They're whacking it. They're whacking it by saying he can't be a slutty man. It's no, because you're kind of, you seem like a jerk. You don't seem, look, I am a slutty man. And you know what? For all the shit people say about me on Twitter, I seem to never get shit on for being a slutty dude. Uh, They, I guess the feminists, they're showing what they're capable of if their sexual aesthetics are frustrated. Women do verbally attack men for not being sexy, which, hey, man, I agree. I don't think that's cool either. I just think it's like priority number 87, but whatever. The nonverbal attack is also significant. It's so mystical because it's passive aggressive. I don't even know what nonverbal attack you're talking about. Is the nonverbal attack not fucking you? At the atomic level, the corresponding chakra, if you believe in that sort of thing, it's the same element as racism. Oh boy, just dude, you are showing your age and like nobody wants the at the beginning of the email some people would fuck you and less people want to fuck you as we get deeper into this email the vicarious insults i mentioned are indirect bullying if not direct those are clear shows of force to signify to older men that we should feel old and unattractive and we should expect no sexual rights or sexual enjoyment because we should have known we're all used up how dare i still have life in me gosh doesn't this sound like that sentence could have been written by an older woman? Maybe you can now empathize instead of talking about how uh, older women can't be eye candy. Actually, they can if you have the capacity to find an older woman attractive. I don't think you do. I don't like what the fuck. We don't call women old maids anymore. Yes, they do. We don't call unmarried women spinsters. People your age still do. Perhaps the long and short of this letter is that slut shaming is not allowed, nor should it be. Is that what this email's about? Okay, but this is the era of ubiquitous hypocrisy. I didn't say anything about a utopia. I eagerly await the fourth wave of feminism. So, when I'm in need of maximum sex positivity and a sense of support, I turn into your podcast and then am immediately subjected to a dose of jealousy because you mentioned hooking up with a friend of yours. (laughs) Ooh la la. (laughs) Like it's the easiest thing in the world. Where in the world do you find such people? Uh, I am paid to mention that uh, you can find such people at altplayground.net. You seem to be, I just don't think that, I think it would be a waste of your money, sir, uh, because I don't think you're going to have success if this is your attitude. You seem to be living in another world. 
If you knew how inexperienced I am, you'd say, aha, so long and loud the weather would change and there'd be a movement for the universal human right that I get laid. Dude, no, there wouldn't. Could you show some sensitivity to those who are totally surrounded with Trump COVID hazards and help navigate that? That and the widespread cultural mediocrity and competence and my own lack of skill, confidence and appeal. I can't even diagram that sentence. I'd like to ask you a question. Finally, is there widespread sexual frustration in America due to self-defeating and self-alienating sexually repressive beliefs woven into everyday morality? Yes. Uh, I'm sex positive. See, no, you. Oh, God. I'm sex positive, seemingly surrounded by people who think appropriate behavior is a robust concept while enabling and perpetuating criminal sexual deviancy via attitudes. Shaming behavior is public enemy number one for creating conditions perpetuating criminal deviant attitudes and not differentiating harmful sexualities from healthy paraphilias and behaviors. If anyone wants to email me and tell me what that paragraph meant, that'd be dope. If I catch COVID, I'm probably dead in three or four days. That sounds sad. What do we what do we who don't have friends, no safety in meeting any, and are facing what seems like millions of bullshit hookup websites when taking that step? How can we have the sex and intimacy we need safely in the era of COVID without robots? I feel completely hemmed in by immovable obstacles, and your website and your podcast just highlighted how painfully impossible it is to be a man whore at this time. As ever, must the seeker of wisdom always be reminded to find answers from within? Oh, I understood that fake smart person question. Yes, you're supposed to find the answers from within. Um, but he says, I've masturbated quite enough. <laughs> If you discuss my letter in your podcast, please don't use my name. You can call me Trog Blukerson. Sure, Trog. I'm a jazz pilot, pilot composer, dental technician with three degrees and an IQ of 145. My own creativity has always been too much to manage, hence my absolute obscurity. Oh, is that why you live in obscurity, sir? <laughs> is because your creativity is just too much for us to handle? Oh, wow. Jesus. Uh, and then again, he, he he attached, he sent me like five attachments about pedophilia, which I don't know, I think puts me on an FBI watch list now. Dude, Trog, are you still listening, Trog? Because I'm very displeased with you. You are not an ethical sex positive man whore person. I believe you believe that you are. You are not entitled to get laid. You have You are entitled to pursue getting laid. And that's where your entitlement basically ends. Because even if someone were to make the mistake of consenting to fuck you, he or she or they or whatever can rescind that consent at any time for any fucking reason. Some of the reasons, sure, maybe good, bad, or shitty, but at the end of the day, they don't have to explain shit to you. You ask a question, and I will go at that question because the commentary has been enough. How can we have the sex and intimacy we need safely in the era of COVID without robots? Okay, you said without robots. That's a fair stipulation because I also probably would have mentioned robots. But um, you can, there is never anything called safe sex. There is only safer sex, right? So the same as in COVID. There is no safe and purely responsible way to do anything. 
right now during these times. But since we have decided as like kind of a, a an American society that we're not going to shut the fuck down and we're not going to be really sad and uncomfortable in order to save lives, but in fact, we're going to all take calculated risks depending where we live and our situations, whatever, um, there are safer ways to do it. The government has given us a lot of recommendations. For example, um, the New York City Department of Health put out a... a I guess it's a memo or whatever called safer sex and COVID-19. This is, this is from a government document. These are some of the things that the, the New York city department of health recommends one avoid the kissing. Like, yes, they are saying you should fuck with masks on. That's an option. Rimming. Don't do it. Uh, they say virus and feces may enter your mouth and could lead to infection. Make it a little kinky. This is an official government document. Make it kinky. Be creative with sexual positions and physical barriers like walls that allow sexual contact while preventing close face-to-face contact, a.k.a. glory holes. Folks, if there was ever a time to make a glory hole at home and have strangers stick their dicks or mouths up against a fucking sheet curtain with a hole cut out, this is the time. I highly recommend. And if you would like to blow me through my glory hole in New York City you know, shoot me an email. Just try to mask who you are. They also recommend masturbating together. So you can use physical distance and face coverings to reduce the risk. I know you didn't want the masturbation option, but this is one I actually want to do. I want to, I've been trying to find someone from Reddit who would like to line their cars up, you know, opposite each other at maybe some abandoned place, some big parking lot, you know, somewhere we won't get caught. And we'll just like sit in the backseat of each other's cars and watch each other diddle ourselves, right? Like, I think that's really hot. And of course, wash up before and after sex. Wash hands with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Wash your sex toys. Disinfect keyboards and touchscreens that you share with others. That's a cute one. Look, there. what I'm just trying to say is there are safer ways to have sex right now. But you are not going to... None of that matters for you, Trog. Because you seem to have this really unhealthy attitude about sex. This is the most important thing I'm going to tell you. It's not going to make you happier. I don't care how unexperienced you are. Sex is not going to make you a happier man. It's going to make you happy for that moment. But like, I have quite a bit of sex in general, and I'm a sad clown. You didn't really ask questions. You kind of just did more of a rant with a couple question marks thrown in at places. Uh, we we covered the how you can do things a little more safely without robots during COVID. Honestly, dude, I think your best bet right now is to hire a sex worker or get a sugar baby, but get like a real fucking assertive, badass, maybe even more dominant sugar baby. Someone who doesn't put up with your shit for free. Someone who's going to kind of teach you why you are so insufferable compensated and then she will begrudgingly fuck you after she has uh made you read this book or that article i think that's a good fit for you oh gosh that was you know that was fun uh trog good luck uh in the show notes of this episode i do have a link to the national suicide prevention lifeline i do sincerely encourage you or anyone else who has uh ideations of self-harm to give it a call and talk to someone but ultimately, dude, you there you got issues well beyond how you can do it safely during COVID. You've got a lot of internal work to do that has nothing to do with jerking off. No one's attacking your PP. You're just an asshole. Oh yeah. Uh, if you want to, <laughs> by the way, I sent this email to my cousin Piper, and uh, she she sent me 
like a 12, 13 minute voice memo saying, dude, I started reading it and I just felt it needed a voice reaction. So so her voice reaction, my cousin's voice reaction to that email is actually going to go out as a bonus episode exclusively on Patreon uh, in, the, in the next day or two. So <laughs> you know where to go if you want to. You want to hear that, which is a great way to segue into a very quick fan horror appreciation moment. All right. I want to give a big thank you to patron Elizabeth Knox. Oh, you've been such a joy, such a delight. You bring that cute Southern charm without the homophobic racism. I'm a big fan. <laughs> Thanks for being a member. And a shout out and thank you to James H. Winston, fellow Jersey boy. Glad you're enjoying the show. Thanks for being a member of the community. It's been a while since I mentioned this. Do y'all know about the Peep Show? Because we have this raunchy, debaucherous, constant group chat on Telegram called the Peep Show. And it's just a place where we share nudes, gifts, and compliments kind of all day, every day. It's pretty great. You know, sometimes if I'm just feeling cute, I'll drop my dick in there. Ten minutes later, I'll come back. I've got five compliments about my penis. So if you want to join us in the Peep Show, maybe you want to enjoy some exclusive man whore podcast content, or maybe you just love what I'm doing and you want to support the show Become a member today. Membership begins at just $2. Head on over to patreon.com slash podcast and sign on up. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash podcast. And now for this week's guest, Angela Chen. This is obviously an episode where we're going to be talking about asexuality, right? And, and the spectrum down there, the grays, the demis, the, the aces, all that stuff. This ain't the first episode we've had on the topic. Uh, y'all, Some of y'all may remember episode 80, ages ago at this point. Episode 80 with Bauer from Aces NYC, a, a local New York-based uh, uh, meetup group for, for asexual folks. I thought that was a great episode. Definitely contentious. Uh, as y'all may recall, there's a little bit of <laughs> combative energy around the topic of demisexuals. Don't know what a demisexual is. I think we cover it in the episode, but you know, a demisexual is essentially someone who says, I don't experience sexual attraction until I first experience some kind of emotional attraction. And I've shared my opinions on that plenty, and we talk about it in the episode. Uh, but but Angela really gave me something new to chew on. Really into it. I thought this was a great, I thought this was a great episode. I thought this was really good. Her book is called Ace. What Asexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. And Demi's, well, you do you, boo-boo. Here's me and Angela Chen. I am here right now with Angela Chen, author of the book Ace, uh, with the subtitle, uh, when sexuality Re- What Sexuality Reveals About Desire, Society, and the Meaning of Sex. What asexuality reveals. Oh, it, what? <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, I, I missed like the most important letter of that word. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so you, but you're, you're feeling good with the book being out the first couple of days. Yeah, I'm feeling good so far. So many aces have reached out or tweeted at me and been saying they love the book so far. And people that I know who aren't ace are saying, oh, it's really interesting. You know, I am, you know, straight and basically heterosexual, but it's making me think about my relationships differently. So that's great too. Why were you worried about the whole can like, what is that just a general fear or is there something in the book that you were particularly concerned would get a negative reaction? Well, there's two things. One is that I just am a little bit anxious, you know, so I could have written a book about anything and I would have had that fear. But the other thing is that asexuality is so broad 
and there's so few books about it. And so any book that does exist on asexuality, there's a lot of pressure to get it right and show you know, as many diverse ace experiences as possible. And there's just so much that I couldn't include. And it's good that I couldn't include everything because no book can. And if I did, then it would just be an unreadable book. It would just be like a collection of facts. But of course, you still feel that responsibility, right? Yeah. And it seems like, you know, I started the podcast about six years ago when I started being familiar, at least with some of the terms and a little bit more. It seems like there's more today. But in general, it seems like if you want to do a, you know, if you want to do any research on asexuality, if you're feeling like, oh, am I more in this kind of spectrum down on this end of things? It seems like your research has to be like Tumblr and Reddit. Exactly. And I think that's what makes it really inaccessible because there's a lot of people who might be asexual, but they just can't reach you know, the people and the resources and the way of thinking because they're just not on Tumblr or they're not on Reddit or they're old or they're not online at all. And I think that in many ways, asexuality is associated with the Internet. And I think that people can make it feel like it's only for young people or it's for people who um, have certain interests when I think everyone can benefit from the ace lens. Well, when did when did you how was what was your discovery just of that term of that world? Not necessarily your own feelings, but uh, unless that overlaps. But like, what was your discovery of this? I came across the word asexuality when I was 14, in my teens at some point. And at the time, all I thought was, oh, that's cool. You know, good for, good for these asexual people. You know, it was interesting, but it wasn't, it didn't feel personal in any way because I didn't think I could be asexual because I thought that being asexual, not experiencing sexual attraction meant that you didn't have sex or that you didn't want sex. And it was only until I'd had a couple of relationships, serious um, relationships, relationships that weren't celibate, that were sexually active, and that I started to realize, oh, maybe I am asexual, even though I'm not repulsed by sex. I think the well, thing that... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 please, please. I mean, I think the thing that people don't get is that they think doesn't experience sexual attraction means being sex repulsed. But you cannot experience sexual attraction and still even desire sex and enjoy sex because you enjoy it for reasons that don't have anything to do with, like, actual horniness, basically. You know, like, you can have sex because you're bored. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times there's uh, some micromanaging of someone's intent. Even just... um, so. I, I don't know. This is just a topic in my life these days, but like I, I started an OnlyFans, whatever. And um, so somebody last night, he's talking to me, and I'm identified as a straight guy. He's a fan of the podcast, and he was nervous about like flirting with me in DMs, even though I invite that on there, or ordering custom content, uh, or like saying, "Hey, I would love to pay extra to like see you jerk off with a guy or something." And he was concerned because he's like, "Well, I want the person to be into it." And I'd be like, I want you to sincerely be into it. And my tip is like a bonus. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, this is porn, sweetie. Like, you say what you want and then you pay money and then you get to see that thing happen. And I think there's a lot of like people who want to micromanage like, oh, well, I want the person to have sex with me for this reason or that reason. But like, why don't you just be happy that they want to fuck you? That's really interesting because it gets into an issue that I think a lot of asexual um, and allosexual couples have. So, you know, one person's ace, the other person is not, in which, you know, the allosexual couple is like, I really like, I want you to want it. You know, it's not just like, I want you to like want it physically in your body because a lot of, you know, aces, if they're not sex repulsed, they might be like, you know, like, 
I enjoy it. I do it because I love you. It makes me feel close. But I'm never going to want it just because like I'm horny for you. And that's just very disappointing often for the partner. Mm-hmm. And it's like we need to like think about these things differently, right? If someone, right. Wa- it's not fake desire if it's a desire because of emotional love, you know. It's like, almost like a different type of desire. It's like, why let me do this thing that I know you love. You know, like if you don't like sucking dick because that doesn't turn you on, but like you know that your partner fucking loves that. Let me, as an act of as an act of love, give that to you. Yeah, and then like enjoy it, like you enjoy when I get you like a surprise present from the record store. Yeah, like there's it, there's a lot of difference between feeling like you have to do it because they're making you, and feeling like oh this isn't necessarily my thing, but. I'm happy to do it for you. Like, this is not a very, you know, sexy comparison, but it's like nobody, like, you might not love doing dishes or something, but you know, like, if your partner's having a really hard day, like, a part of you, like, wants to do that to, like, because you love them. And, yes. you know, in so many other places, it's like, I want you to, like, want to do the dishes. You know, like, why do we not make the same, like, comparison? Like, why is wanting to do something because they genuinely love their partner? Like, why is that not good enough? Yeah, or you could do it because like you want to shut your partner up. Like I like don't let's not rob people of agency to use the act of sex how they want to use it. Yeah, and it's kind of yeah, it's it's there's like a fine line because I think often with aces or people who just don't know about asexuality um, but feel like they're supposed to be loving sex so much. I feel like there can be it can be easy to coerce people. You know, like you need to do this because everyone loves this, and so it can be really easy to pressure. Aces at the same time. So that's like one challenge. And the other challenge is what we said too, is that even when you do feel like you want to have sex with your partner, it doesn't feel like it's enough. So there's, you know, so many nuances here. Right, right. And and, and it seems like your book from just a little bit that I've poked around, I haven't gotten a copy from your publicist yet, but I, I'm, I sincerely would like to because I'm, uh, you know, like you said, there aren't a lot of books on it. So like this bookshelf has no real ace representation in it. And it seems like it can be for non-aces, too, or for hyper... Like, it seems like it's... it's it, From what I can... The little bit I can tell, it seems like there's a lot to be gleaned from your book, and it's about sexuality in general and desire through your lens as an asexual person. Does that sound right? Absolutely. And like I said, like, I have friends who are not ace. Maybe they're gay or maybe they're straight, and they've read it, and they've been like oh, this made me think about things differently. You know, for example, so many questions that aces struggle with are the same questions that people of like any orientation struggle with. Like for many people, it's like, what's the difference between platonic and romantic attraction? Like, am I actually like sexually attracted to them? Or is it just like a really strong friend feeling or feelings like consent, like in relationships? Like, what do you do if one person, you know, wants sex a lot more than the other? Like, how do you balance those needs? Or, you know, gender gets wrapped up so much. Like for men, there's this idea, you know, regardless of whether you're actually having sex, that you like real men are going out there and having a lot of sex and scoring. Or if you're a woman, there's all these gender stereotypes, you know, tied up there. Like maybe you're supposed to be sexually shy. But now I think there's this feeling that, you know, real feminist women enjoy sex. And there's that tension there if you're asexual. Like there's so many ways in which it's about sexuality and it's relevant whether you identify as ace or not. Have you gotten that type of pushback from feminists about your your sexuality? No, it's not explicit, but it's okay. a subtext that's in the air. Like, I think there really is this feeling, you know, no one would go out and say it, but there's this feeling that 
women who love sex are cooler and they're more um, they're more feminist than women who aren't. And there definitely is this feeling that if you don't love sex, it's because you're repressed or it's because you're oppressed or it's because you've been slut shamed too much by the patriarchy. All of which is true. You know, all of that happens. But sexual variety exists, right? And like, just because many people might be oppressed doesn't mean that everyone who is indifferent to sex it is repressed. So do you think, do you think like, you know, this, uh, I, I can't keep track of all the waves, but what, third, fourth wave feminism, do you feel like they almost view uh, asexuality as like a threat to the sexual revolution and liberation that's been going on? I don't think they see it as a threat. I think that many, many feminists, you know, I don't think they would explicitly say this, but I think many feminists think that if you don't love sex, then that means you just need to explore more. You know, something if you don't love sex, to you. something happened to you. You need to go to kind therapy. Kind of in the way that if you love sex too much as a woman, then something must have happened to you. Basically, if you exist, something must have happened to you. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, there's this, there's this idea like, oh, you don't love sex. Like, try masturbating more. Try more sex toys. Like, maybe you're into kink. Like, that you have to always be finding, like, the secret that will unlock your desire for sex. And sometimes it's like... Maybe I just don't like sex and maybe yeah. I'm perfectly happy. There's nothing wrong with me and nothing happened to me. Yeah, it's like maybe back the fuck up and <laughs> yeah. like mind your damn business. But but so it's, uh, you, you know, you said you were 14 when you kind of discovered this concept, these words. Um, where did you find them? And, you know, you said you didn't react. You didn't relate to them. It wasn't like you looked at that and thought that was you. Um, so what was your thoughts on your own sexuality like around that age i just thought i was a straight woman most of my friends then were straight women i mean now like i probably was and then for a while i thought it was bisexual but at that exact point you know i thought it was a straight woman and i found the word asexual online probably from wikipedia you know some random rabbit hole you go down and i just didn't think about it again so like it, there was just no sign to me that i could be asexual like i had a type like, there were guys that I thought were attractive. There were guys I thought were, didn't, weren't attractive. Like, mm -hmm. if my friends were talking about crushes, I could talk about my crush, too. I was, you know, right. deeply interested in romance, and I wanted a boyfriend. All of that. There was no sign at all that I might be asexual, because we just didn't think about it that di deeply. Right. You're not nearly as sexually active during those earlier ages to, like, kind of even, I guess... No, right? But you clearly knew you were romantic, like you you experienced romantic attraction. Exactly. Since we tie like sex and romance so closely together, you just think like, well, if I like this one, I must like this one. Or sometimes I hear from some, uh, you know, some women going like, well, I just thought sex was supposed to be bad, and that's why I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, and for me, I was I was curious about sex. You know, when I was fourteen. I hadn't had sex yet, but you know, my friends, and I would talk about it. Like, what would it be like? And I expected it to be to be good. So you know, there was no sign. Like, why would I be asexual? And it's funny now to think because you know, people will be like, "How can you be asexual but have sex? Like, what does that mean?" And I really try, I really try to explain that a lot of it is about kind of the way that you see the world. You know, like even though I'm not repulsed by sex, sex just I never think about it, you know, like I think about it if I want to think about it. Whereas right. from my understanding, like many allies, you like think about it whether you want to or not. Right. It's um, truly a burden. <laughs> right. It's, but I didn't realize that. So when I was in high school, someone that I knew um, got pregnant and I remember having this thought. I was like, how could she have gotten pregnant? Not in like a slut shamey kind of way, but in a like a deeper way, because I was like, it's really easy to not 
have sex. Like、mm-hmm. you have to like go out and do it, and like the risks are so high. Like why would you do that? And that's such an ace thought, you know. Like other people、yeah. would be like, I understood. It's because you she was like sexually attracted to her boyfriend, and you know. But for me, I was like, how? Like how? And like,、right. and that's like looking back. It's these kinds of things that make me understand. Like for me, like asexuality, it's not so much about exactly how much you love sex or don't love sex. For people who aren't sex repulsed, it's about this whole way of seeing the world that's different. Like my friends used to always make fun of me. They're like, you can't tell when someone's flirting with you. You just, you know, like it became a running joke. And after a while, I was like, oh, you know. There's this like moment for a lot of aces when they realize they're ace. They're like, oh, this explains like so much. Like everyone else is like seeing a different color that I can't see, but I kind of learned to talk around it. It's like very philosophical, actually. Like you just thought people were being nice to you. Yeah, like like you're like, why else would someone like hold this door open? Why on earth would somebody want to buy me a drink? That's just a really nice guy. <laughs> yeah, like I was there.、Um, I was like talking to someone, and my friend like. Uh, like whispers in my ear, she was like, "He's flirting with you," and I was like, "What?" And he was, and she was like, "Why do you think he keeps touching your leg?" And I was like, "Oh, I thought he wanted me to like move over because he like wanted more like space." Like it's just like it's not something that I factor into my daily life. It's not something. It's not how I see the world. And so it's like I, I since realizing I was ace, I, I have to realize like, oh, like this is something that people experience. Or another example that I want to talk about, which isn't from me, I interviewed someone. Who grew up in Oklahoma in like a very religious environment, and she was atheist from a young age, and a lot of her friends were. So they'd all go to church, and they would be praying or whatever, and but they'd be like looking at each other and like rolling their eyes, you know, like we're going through the motions, but like we know we don't really believe in God, like this is not for us. And she's not sex repulsed, so in school, like she'd joke about like who is sexy or not, or if they were looking at. Um, for example, like a statue of like, like a Greek statue, one of those nude ones. She would like joke about like wanting to tap that or like the butt, like the butt being hot or something. But she never realized that everyone else was actually experiencing like sexual attraction. She thought it was like the church example where they were all like playing a game, but like they knew like deep down it was like sardonic. So when her best friend had sex for the first time, she was like, "Oh, was it terrible? Like, did it hurt?" And her friend was like, "No, I I wanted it. It wasn't terrible." And all of a sudden, she was like, "Oh my god! Like everyone is actually experiencing this. I thought we were all playing one big joke, but I was the one who didn't get the joke." And and when did you realize? When did it click in for you that it was kind of complicated? It was after I had my first relationship, and it was it was a very intense and perhaps unfortunate relationship. But the sex part of the relationship was not a problem. It was not like I had any problems like having sex with him or anything like that. The problem was that he pushed for this long distance, five year open relationship, and I became so jealous and so freaked out. And that, and like my jealousy, like made me act in ways I think were really cruel. And then after、Is、we broke、college? up, this was right after college. So、oh, if that excuses me a little bit, so afterward. I felt really haunted by that relationship because I was like, "Why did I act that way?"、Um, and of course, you know, like there's one obvious reason, which is you know you were young and you were insecure, and you know open relationships can be very threatening, especially if it's your first relationship, right? But eventually, what I realized is that it actually had to do with me being ace. So, 
because I didn't know I was asexual when he would say these things like, oh, like we should, we need to be in an open relationship. Everyone is always sexually attracted to everyone else. Like it's so normal. Why, why did he want to be in the open relationship? I mean, it was going to be long distance. Like he mm-hmm. was going to live somewhere else. So that was, that was the main reason. But when he would say those things, like I would just imagine like the way I felt toward him, like really like strong, like obsessive, like love. And I would just imagine him feeling that toward all these other people. Like, I was, like, conflating love and romance. And, of course, like, if you imagine, like, someone just, like, falling in love with everyone, in some ways that's a lot more threatening than if you're, like, oh, they just, like, want to have sex with someone. But because I didn't realize I didn't experience sexual attraction, I was, like, it was so much harder for me to handle. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. And was he off dating other people or was he just, you know, fooling around, like, fucking other people? I mean, this was all theoretical. Like, we never even made it to the lo- to open relationship. Uh, I was oh, just, oh, like, so, so just, freaked he, out. So he just wanted it for mm-hmm. during that time, but y'all didn't actually practice it. Yeah. So we were together for, in, like, person for a summer okay, and he wanted okay. it for, like, when he moved away. And just, it's like, just the wa- idea it, of it was so yeah. frightening. It's just wild to me because, again, you you kept saying, like, you thought of it as romantic attraction. And he, he might have just been like, can I please go get my dick wet elsewhere? And, like, so now you're jealous over the thing that you don't even necessarily love yourself. It kind of. It's like I think he just really just wanted to, like, sleep with other people. But mm. I really thought he was just going to, like, fall in love with other people because I didn't understand that people, you know, like, separate. I didn't understand it was separate. And it only happened, like, I only understood it, like, years later when I was talking mm. to a friend of mine and he was like, okay, I don't get why you're so jealous. And I'm like, oh, he's just going to be, like, sexually attracted to others all the time. And he's like, my friend was like, okay, but, like, everyone feels that, but it's just attraction. It's not like this, mm-hmm. like, unmanageable, like, thing that you can't stop thinking about and ruins your life. Like, it can be like that, but it's not always like that. It's just physical attraction. I was like, oh, like, I don't think I've experienced just physical attraction. For me, like, it's, I only even am willing to sleep with someone once I've already, like, am in love with them and, like, are willing to change my life for them. And that's why it was so threatening to me. And is is part of you like when when all that's going down, like your mind flashes back to fourteen, learning that word that you saw wherever you saw it online. Yeah, basically. And I was like, okay, I didn't think I was asexual because I because I have mm. sex and I have no problem with it, but I think I maybe misunderstood what asexual means. Okay, okay. And so now, how do you how do you how do you define asexuality in your life then? In my life, or like, what is the definition? Uh, let, well, let's do both. I, it just sounds like you know you saw this word when you were younger. You didn't identify with it. Then you go through some, you know, seems like some young sexual experiences. You have this long relationship. Then you realize, oh, I'm seeing green and everyone's seeing blue. And your mind hits back to this word, and it seems like you now have a new understanding for how you relate to this concept. So, I mean, you can either tell me like how you practice what that means in your life or how you define it. If you would like the masses to know you're not the first asexual person on the show. I had, um, uh, there's a group in New York city. I don't know if it still goes on called aces NYC. Yeah. Yeah. So Bauer was on the show. I know uh, Bauer quite, quite many years ago. Yeah. We had a little bit of a contentious one, but I thought it was really good. Uh, Mm -hmm. but so, so we've had the top, we've covered the topic from time to time on the show, but yeah, I guess, uh, why don't you go ahead and define it for us and tell us what it means in your life. Yeah, I mean, it just means that you don't experience sexual attraction. But the metaphor I always use is the food metaphor, where it's like there's some foods that you just crave, right? Like, And there's some foods that you hate, like broccoli. And then there's some foods that you don't really crave them, you don't hate them, but 
you know, if it's like part of like a childhood memory, like mac and cheese, like maybe it's not the world's best mac and cheese, but it reminds you of like Sunday dinners with your mom and like, you know, then you like start emotionally eating it. That's kind of what it's like to, you know, that's kind of what sexual attraction mm-hmm. is in a way. Like that's how you can not experience sexual attraction, but not be repulsed by it. And that's how so many people don't realize they don't experience sexual attraction because they want sex for emotional reasons. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the explanation there. In my life, more specifically, it's kind of what I said before, where I just realized that I see the world in a different way. You know, like I can, I'll, I'll look at a celebrity, I'll be like, oh, you know, they're cute. Or I'll even be like, oh, like I feel drawn to them. Um, but it's never, there's never like a sexual motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I was doing my book launch, we actually played this game um, where we just showed pictures of various celebs and we were like, okay, vote. Are they cute? Are they hot? Are they sexy? And then we were discussing like, what does it mean for someone to be like conventionally attractive, but they're not hot to you? Or what does it mean for someone to be like, you're drawn to them, but you know, they're not conventionally attractive. Like Pete Davidson is an easy example. Like he doesn't do it for me. (laughs) Okay. Continue. I mean, like he doesn't do it for me, but there was that period of time where like people were like, yeah, like I can see like why like Pete Davidson is sexy and I'm, but they can't explain it. You know, like attraction is like so nuanced and there's so many like different facets and all of that. Um, and it's just very, it's just very difficult for people to really explain, understand. And yet we just treat it like, like we all do understand what it is. Like when you're like drawn to someone, like you just are, like it's so hard to break that down. Right. And in a society where we don't talk about sexuality and attraction and such openly, where we don't teach it in schools, nobody wants to be the one who doesn't know. Nobody wants to be the one who's not fitting in. You know, no one wants to be the one to ask a dumb question, right? Yeah. I I remember when I was a kid, you know, I think it was, uh, I think I was in sixth grade homeroom and like the other boys were talking about uh, ejaculating because like we were all, we all could finally do it, I guess. Uh, And the guys were like, I just in this amount of time, I just did, did, like it was ridiculous. There was a bunch of fucking 11 year old, 12 year old boys talking about how long it takes them to come. And then they were like, well, how long does it take you to jizz? I didn't know what the right answer was. And I was like five minutes because I was like, I don't know. That seems like a good in between. And apparently five minutes was the wrong answer. I still don't know why, but it was wrong. And I got laughed at. And nobody wants to ask that dumb question. No one wants to probably say, hey, I'm not feeling that tingle when I look at Pete Davidson and then be like the one who doesn't. Yeah, exactly. You know, I start off my book by talking about this conversation I had with my friend Jane, in which I, you know, I straight up asked her, like, what does sexual attraction feel like? And that was kind of an important moment for me, because when I asked her that question, we were both 24. And I'd already been in two relationships. And I had had sex before, and I'd enjoyed it. And Jane, she was a virgin and she never had sex but she always talked about it she was very you know open about it and it was clear to me that like she definitely was a very sexual person in other words she basically was just pretty horny and she was like oh like you don't you don't you don't you don't need to have sex to like experience sexual attraction she'd be like oh i like want to feel close to them i like get warm you know like all of these like very physical embodied parts of attraction that we don't talk about and i was like i just don't really experience that with anyone really and that was this moment where I was like oh you know I can have this conversation with Jane because we're so close and have been for years but most people aren't able to have these conversations and so we're using the same words but we might not mean the same things Mm -hmm. and what changed in your life when you have this aha moment like what shifted did anything was anything different 
I don't think anything was that different when it comes to to like my day-to-day life. Um, I think I'm lucky in that I'm not sex repulsed. So if I were sex repulsed, I think that would really change my relationship to dating. And I think that'd be a lot more difficult. Um, but because I'm not, and because I am, I, I do have sex with my partner. Um, you know, there's some of like negotiation there. And we've had a lot of talks about like, what does it mean that like, I do want to have sex with them, but not for myself. Like we said at the beginning, we have those kinds of conversations. But what really changed for me was just thinking about, you know, why is it that it took me so long to understand asexuality? And, and why is the world like, take for granted that everyone has to be sexual, that if you're not sexual, that you feel broken? Why do we have why do we think that low sexual desire has to be like a medical problem that has to be fixed with drugs? Why is it that in relationships, the partner who wants less sex they're the one who has to fix the problem, even though it should be like this shared issue. It made me just think about the world differently. Like, I don't think it changed the way I behaved, but it changed the way I viewed the world. Did it change the way you dated? I don't think so, because my entire life I've dated in unconventional ways. Basically, I just turn existing friends into relationships. <laughs> you know, I've never been able to have you know, the traditional online dating where it's like you meet up and like maybe after three days you have sex with them. And then you have like a defining the relationship talk. For me, I would just not want to do that. And so that's made dating complicated in many ways but you know i have for me yeah it was just like i was already friends with you we always had a great vibe like i think we could date well so that was the same before and after really that's also complicated because a lot of people sometimes try to say oh i will you know there are some people in the school of thought who say i don't date my friends right Mm because they're like they're worried about losing the friendship in the in the course of things um you know, have, has that gone awry? Uh, is is your present is your present partner someone who was a, just a friend before? Yeah, he was just a friend before. All of my all of people I met basically were just friends because mm-hmm. I just wouldn't feel comfortable sleeping with someone that I didn't that I wasn't in a relationship with. You know, I think it sounds very old fashioned, but it's not because like. It's just my preferences, you know, it's not because of morals, it's not because I'm afraid that, you know, if you get the milk for free, they're not going to buy the cow. There's like none of that kind of stuff. It's just what I'm um, comfortable with. And I do have friends who are the other way, you know, who are like, I'm not going to date friends, I'm not going to ruin that. But for and I totally get that, too. And, you know, I don't talk to my first boyfriend anymore. So in a way that that is what happened. But I talked to another one of my exes. So it varies. But I think for me, there's probably no other way, which is is hard because it takes a long time to make friends you know you, could, like, you, could, you couldn't date someone like you know someone's you, you couldn't just like date someone in a dating way and maybe not sleep with them and they know that you're ace and they're on board and not like they're like hey i can wait that's cool and develop the bond that way do you really think you like the way you date has to be through you know your pre-existing friend group no, I think I could definitely do that. Like, you know, if they yeah. were willing to wait, I could do that. So it's you're just, cool with you're cool with dating so long as there isn't a pressure of sex with it. Absolutely. Which but I don't I think, think should be coming with dating, period. Right? It's yeah. I don't think it should be, but I think it's there. Like I've I met a lot of people through OKCupid. Okay and actually I met all of my partners through OKCupid okay and it was always like like it would be long distance. Like I was in DC for the summer. I met someone and I was always like, Oh, like I'm probably not going to date you cause I'm, I don't live in DC, but let's hang out. And then we became good friends and then eventually moved to the same city. And that's when we had a relationship, you know? So I think 
like I'm totally open to that kind of stuff. But I think what's hard is that if you're going to meet someone in OkCupid, like people are looking for someone to date and someone to sleep with. Like people are not going to be like, yeah, let's just be let's just be friends for a couple of years. Like that's like they look for friends elsewhere, like OkCupid or Tinder or Bumble or whatever. People go on that to date. And for most people, dating means having sex pretty soon. Right. And I think, well, now that gets into something a little cultural and it brings up uh, my good friends, the Demis, in that uh, the cultural norm for casual sex is still changing and has only just been getting like culturally acceptable. Like having sex before marriage used to be like you were that girl, you were that guy, your parents didn't want you hanging out with that person. Um, You were the one in your friend group that people said, Oh, well, you know how Jim is. Keep him away from, right? Like this idea of like acceptable casual sex is a a fairly new concept compared to what we had before, right? And so I have said problematically that the, I'm not saying that people don't experience demisexuality. I'm saying I don't think the term demisexual was at all needed until casual sex became a cultural norm because before that was just what one was supposed to do and how one was supposed to experience attraction. You were only supposed to sleep with people that you felt a thing for, right? Okay, uh, let me so- let me ask you a question though. What do you think demisexual means? The way it's been explained to me, and I will never pretend to be an expert on anything. I'm just a comedian with a fuck show, so I'm always very okay with saying I'm wrong if it sounds like I'm wrong. The way it's been explained to me is that uh, being demisexual means you only experience sexual attraction after some sort of established romantic or emotional connection. Maybe okay. not romantic, but more emotional. Yeah. Okay. So let me, I let me kind of explain where I think like there's a lot of misunderstanding around the term, and I'm going to use this explanation that someone named Lola, who's demisexual, used for me. Uh, sure. So I, I think do, a lot I, of people I, are like, you prefer to have sex before, you know, you like don't want to have sex until there's a romantic attraction. And then that's where a lot of people are like, okay, I'm like that too. You know, why do you need another term? But it's not about preference. It's about your ability to. So the example well, that Lola ability uses, to, but By ability, you mean like ability to experience sexual attraction, yeah. not ability to actually have sex. Exactly. So the way that Lola explained it was that like, let's say two people go into a bar and one person is demisexual and one person is not demisexual. Mm. So the demisexual person they can sleep with anyone they want, you know, like you don't have to be sexually attracted to sleep with someone, but they literally like they can, they don't feel physically attracted to someone. They can't find someone in the bar that they find physically attracted to. Whereas the other person who's allosexual, basically non-asexual, like they don't have to sleep with anyone either, but they might find themselves like immediately sexually attracted to like the guy sitting over there. So I think in many ways, like, I I see what you're saying. Like, I do think it's true that the culture of, like, casual sex becoming normalized and sometimes there being even pressure to, like, have sex quickly, like, that can alienate people. But I do think that, like, you can be demisexual, have casual sex. Does that, right. does that like, distinction make sense? Like, it's about that, ability. That, the, the difference between the way two people at the bar are looking at someone and experiencing or not experiencing, that does help. That's something new for me to, to chew on. Uh, I just think what I was... What I was explaining before, I think it's that combined with not wanting to feel like an outcast or feel different and what is a more modern internet thing of like wanting to have your terms, wanting to self-categorize. I think all that stuff comes together and you get things like sapiosexual like or, you know, there's the, the Huffington Post 
headline type of words that may not even be that serious. But it's just people wanting to feel a part of some kind of group, some kind of tribe. And I think that causes some people to self-identify as a variety of things in a variety of sectors of life that maybe aren't the most sincere the way but since me talking to Bauer, I also learned, like, I don't have to give a shit. Like, it doesn't affect me at all. So it's like, I can think that that label is maybe a little unnecessary, but also it doesn't affect my life. And it, like, almost only comes up in conversation, like, when I am talking about the, the topic, like, on a podcast. Um, otherwise, like, like, it's not, like, just like the people who want to try to convince you, oh, you didn't find the right thing yet. Let me, have you tried this toy? Have you tried this, like, kink? It's like... Back the like we can all myself very much included back the fuck off and let people do and call themselves what they want to call themselves. Yeah, I spoke to a um, scholar of sexuality from my book, and she said something similar. She was like, in some ways, I find the term demisexuality maybe a little bit dangerous because it's kind of creating this idea that everyone wants casual sex, and if you don't, yeah. then it's like distinct enough that you have your own distinct identity, which I think is kind of what you're saying. And I totally see what she's saying and I see what you're saying too. But I also, I'm like, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt you, right? Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why I don't like tweet about it. And you know what I mean? Like, like when I was 25 and 26 and I was a lot more, I was younger, more impulsive. Yeah, I'm like, I have an opinion. I fart out every five seconds. Um, Now I've learned how to like hold some of that in because like I don't need to say this and saying this is mostly just going to upset someone personally so like why do I need to say it and and, and that's so that's where I, that's my evolution on it though your explanation definitely gives me something new to chew on because I didn't think about it like that yeah. uh, but but and when you say like she thinks it's dangerous because it gives this perception that everyone's fucking it's like I remember, and I still haven't been able to gra- find the, the study again, but I remember years ago the study came out that it was like they asked college students, how much sex do you think everyone else is happening, having? And then like they were like, oh, oh so much. All, they're having all the sex, a full bucket of sex. Then they'd be like, how much sex are you having? And they were like, ah, just like a small playful, like, like an appetizer, a small amount. And that th- they found that that was like kind of the, the – there was a big disparity between – how much sex people thought was was happening on campus and how much sex was actually happening on campus. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And the thing is, that's existed before demisexuality. Yeah. I, like, I think demisexuality is totally valid. And I think, yeah, I think the explanation that I gave, which someone gave to me and I thought was really good, which is why yeah, I've been stealing really it the whole time, it really is, like, it doesn't have to do with behavior. It's mm. not about, like, well, it's not about, like, I don't want to have casual sex. It's I actually cannot like feel this attraction yeah. otherwise and so hopefully that is interesting to you definitely yeah, the main thing pe- is that yeah yeah the main well the it, it's you know it's um i yes i still think some people who just don't want to have casual sex find comfort in calling themselves demisexual and i'll i think that or you know or somebody same thing someone finds comfort in any label just let them like that's that's where i am moving on it it's like who gives a shit you know like i that that's kind of where i go to um it it made me think when you were talking in the beginning about people butting in and trying to find the answer to unlock your sexuality that i'm i'm polyamorous uh, and and i wrote i wrote an article recently for a magazine where i mentioned how like frustrating is everyone focuses on the sex 
um, Polly, when Polly's actually way more about like emotions and love than the actual sex, but everyone wants to know sex, 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 and I, it's frustrating for me. And I was wondering if you experience a frustration that when people hear asexuality, which is like by the breakdown of the word, the absence of sexual attraction, people are focused on the sex. They want to know. Even me during this inter- during this conversation, like I have had impulses to ask certain questions that are about the sex when really like. There's so much more to it. I don't know. Do you find frustration that people just want to hone in on your sex life? It's, it's complicated. Um, my main job is I'm a science and tech journalist. So I write about a lot about like AI and medicine and such. And if it weren't for the fact that I think that asexuality is really misunderstood and that I really honestly think that people, you know, whether they're asexual or not, will benefit from this, I wouldn't have written this book. You know, I don't love talking about my sex life. And there's also this kind of again, philosophical irony where, like you said, asexual means like not sexual, not experiencing sexual attraction. So when we have to define sexual attraction, like I have to define something for you that I don't even experience, that you experience, but that I don't. And that's hard, right? And at the same time, I have to explain like what, like I'm still centering sexuality when we're talking about asexuality, right? Mm-hmm. Like people will ask me like, oh, like is asexuality, um, fighting against sexuality and yes in a way it is it's like fighting against compulsory sexuality or like sexual pressure Mm -hmm. but even asexuality itself like it means the lack of something and when you define something as the lack of something you're still being like it's normal to have that thing um there was this really great um quote from someone that interviewed julie sandra decker and she said something like i am not a non-crafter you know like i only am asexual because everyone wants me to be sexual. If it weren't for the fact that people object to it and are always telling her, like, just wait till you find the right person or, like, maybe you're gay or stuff like that, then she wouldn't talk about it at all. She just has to talk about it because people keep telling, like, people won't back off. (laughs) Would you you prefer if the term was something else? Do you think asexuality needs a rebrand? I think it needs a rebrand for a few reasons. One is totally personal. I just don't like the word asexual. I like the word ace, but asexual to me, maybe because I'm a science journalist, I just think of like frogs and like one-celled organisms. You know, at one point I set one of those Google alerts for the word asexual to keep up with the news. And every month it was, or sorry, like every month there'd be like one story about like asexuality and every other story would be about some animal that like some scientific breakthrough. So that's one reason. And the other reason is because asexuality is so broad. Like it includes, like we said, people like me who do have sex. And it's kind of like, I get it. Like, why would you include people who do have sex under the label asexual? Like, it's very confusing. Like the language itself is confusing. And I think there's some tension in the community too, because at the beginning of the community, it really was started by people who didn't want sex and who might be sex repulsed. And later on, because it's about sexual attraction, there were a lot more people like me who, you know, don't experience sexual attraction, but were not celibate. And it's, it's a very different experience in many ways. And right, so, so what, there's like there's like clashes within the subset? I don't think it's clashes. I think it's more like more like tension because if there's so much scarcity of information so there's no one at there's no one at like a meetup who goes like well that gray sexual over there like they sometimes want to fuck and so they're not as whatever as we are over here they're you you don't see that kind of go on or i don't think so it's more like for people like me 
I saw a lot of the original narrative of asexuality, which is like their sex repulse. So I was like, oh, that I'm not asexual. And then once I realized I was, I wanted to be like, oh, of course, like asexual, asexuality can be all of these things. But then when we focus so much on the fact that like aces can have sex and they can enjoy sex, then the people who are sex repulsed are like, okay, but like we have our struggles too. Like, you know, like we just don't talk about asexuality enough and so it feels like whenever you focus on one part of it then you're neglecting the other and it's really because there's a scarcity because it's just mm. not very much in the culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so so someone is curious of wow you know probably maybe a younger person or maybe not who knows but it's like someone's feeling like wow i'm not really enjoying the sex i have or wow i'm not really talking about sexuality sexual attraction the way my friends are and they start thinking like maybe i'm somewhere over on this end of the spectrum whether it's the whole demi gray area the or ace or whatever sex repulse not what are some of the questions you think are helpful for someone to ask themselves to kind of figure it out that's a good question um i mean i try to get one good one (laughs) per podcast only one yeah (laughs) i think I think the first thing I always want to say is that with asexuality, it's like no one will ever try to diagnose you. Like I've had people talk to me and they're like, do you think I'm asexual? And I'll be like, well, your experiences line up a little bit with like other aces that I know, but I would never be like a doctor and like write your prescription and be like, you're asexual now. Like we really focus, like people need to identify, like figure it out for themselves. And sometimes there are people I know who, you know, their experiences match up, but they don't vibe with the label and they feel like it doesn't help them. And so I think that's fine too. But so that's one thing I always want to say. And I think like the question is like, is really like, we, I think the important thing is actually just finding other people writing about asexuality and then seeing those that matches up with your experience. Like, I think it's actually very hard to think about it yourself, you know? Cause like, if I were to think about it when I was 14, I would be like, okay, am I asexual? I'd be like, do I hate sex? No. Do I have crushes? Yes. You know, like, it's it's very hard to, like, be in your head about this. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the areas in which you find other people and they were like, I realized I was asexual when, or, like, on Tumblr there's a million, like, you know, this is the moment when I realize. Yeah. And it's like, does that speak to me? Does that resonate? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we have even, and that doesn't even touch upon the whole aromantic world. Yeah, right? absolutely. Which, which was fun. I, you know, so normally my pre-interview questions, they're very short and brief but i usually ask like what sexual orientation do you identify as relationship Mm -hmm. status what's off limits so i was like well i know i need to ask the relationship status but like actually i was like i I guess is it and then i said hey is it more appropriate for me to ask you if you're like hetero romantic or homo romantic Mm -hmm. you're like i'm pan romantic well okay so like we have i mean does the whole aromantic crowd kind of mesh with the asexual crowd or do they have their own meeting i think it's Yes and no. So like aromanticism and asexuality develop together because, you know, you can be asexual and heteromantic or you can be aromantic and not, you know, want that at all. Mm. And the interesting thing, one of the interesting things is, you know, for we've separated we being asexuals, like sexual orientation, romantic orientation. But I think like allosexuals can do that, too. Like I've been talking to a friend of mine and she was like, you know, I think I'm I think I'm actually heterosexual, but I think I'm bi-romantic. 
you know, and I think that like straight people don't think about it that way. They're like, oh, like if I'm sexually attracted to women, I'm also romantically attracted to women. But what if you're sexually attracted to men and women, but you're only romantically attracted to one or vice versa? And I think that's one thing that's super fascinating for allos to think about. The other thing is that you can also be aromantic and not asexual. And oh, I yeah. interviewed, yeah, I interviewed someone, a man who's aromantic and not asexual. And to be honest, like when I was doing the interview, like I could really feel myself getting into these gender biases. Like when I interviewed like a woman who was, arom- who was aromantic but not asexual, I was like, good for you. But like intellectually, I knew better. But emotionally, I was like, But you okay. were, were you like, this guy's a player and he's just using these words? Yeah, like emotionally, yeah. I was like, okay, like I know this is wrong. Like, like there's no reason that only women could be aromantic and, you know, and not asexual. But I was like, oh, like, he's just like a fuckboy. Like, you know, like, I'm a woman who spent a lot of time listening to, like, my female friends be like, he only wanted sex. And now I'm like, great. Like, what if he's secretly using that label to try to justify mm-hmm. himself? And talking to him really kind of changed it for me because he was like, you know, I am aromantic. I am bisexual or pansexual. Um, and but like, I'm not a fuckboy. Like, I care about the people that I sleep with just because I don't want romance doesn't mean that I am mean to them like I check in. And that like really changed the game for me emotionally because he was telling me how like people would say like, oh, are you a serial killer? Oh, do you want people for their bodies? And for a long time, he did that like he did that to himself. Like he was like, is there something wrong with me? Like, do I just am I a bad person who wants to use people for their bodies, like use them sexually because I might care about them and be nice, but I don't feel romantically. And it took him a long time to realize that. And so for me talking to him like that totally changed it. I was like, you know, I always knew I was just, you know, buying into gender stereotypes, but like really talking to him, I was like, okay, I totally see that now. Past guest of the show, Kenneth play. He uh, is a sex educator out here in, in Brooklyn. And he has this phrase that was like, he's like, I thought of a way to refer to a slut. He was like, someone who's just, who's just slutty. And he was like, sociosexual, aromantic. I think that, yeah, I think that's probably true. And then I was like, we can really craft some scientific sounding words for for all the things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, my way of thinking about it is that like, there's going to be some like asshole out there who is just an asshole and is going to hide behind like the aromantic label. But like, Polly has that all the time. We have plenty of these like poly douche or doms. Jesus. Yeah. uh, I think last week's episode. She got catfished by this guy online who was being a shitty dom. He's calling himself a dom, but really he's a selfish prick who wants to tell women what to do and not have to, like, give anything. He's not an actual dom because a dom is, you know, you know, there's consent involved Mm -hmm. and he's like cares about the human and all that stuff. And it's not purely selfish. But there's a lot of dudes on the Internet who have for a long time been hiding behind this dom label we're finding that in polyamory like the poly guy who's like really just saying that and using language so he can fuck quote-unquote fuck mad bitches or whatever right so exactly there's always going to be abuse of that stuff but i think that does come back to what i have been learning at least which is who like ultimately it doesn't affect me and i have to kind of let go of how people want to identify Yeah. And I think like just exactly. It's like just because the fact that there are poly assholes, just because the fact that there are obviously like there are assholes in like any group that you could Mm -hmm. ever imagine. Right. Like there are assholes who are aces and ones there are people who are horrible and they're going to pretend or they're going to identify as aromantic, but actually they're just selfish. Like that doesn't mean the the labels or the ideas don't have value. You know, you can go to a monastery. 
You can go to a monastery and find an asshole monk, I am sure. You know, oh, like yeah, there's going to be one. <laughs> there's yeah, there's one guy in a temple who's a total dick. Uh, I mean, <laughs> this is like a slight digression, but like there was uh there was a famous monk who like gave HIV to a lot of people. Like Oh my god. Um and I mean that's like there was like a Zen Buddhist monk. Like of course there's assholes everywhere, you know? Hey, Jesus. Um, um were, were there were there any like surprises? that you learned while researching and writing the book? Um, the one that I just said about, you know, in- interviewing a man who is aromantic, not asexual, that wasn't like an intellectual surprise, but that like emotionally was like affecting. Um, it was also interesting, like doing a lot of research for the chapter that's on like the difference between platonic and romantic attraction. It's just, you know, we, I think we always think that if, if a relationship is like really intense, then like secretly it's sexual, you know, like they're maybe they're in denial about it or they don't want to like, you know, like face they're, up to it. But there's the idea like they're secretly fucking. Right. Yeah. And, or, or they want to fuck like, oh, you can just tell that they want to fuck. Right. Yeah. There's that they can't just they just can't experience chemistry without it having to be sexual. Exactly. And I mean, I did a lot of research and thinking about that. And I think that just says so much about how, like, again, at the level of language, like sex is like what we mean by passion. Right. Like if you like do a thesaurus.com search for passionate, they'll say words like sexy, sultry, blah, blah, blah. Like, but there's so many kinds of relationships that are, have like this great energy, like therapists, you know, you and your therapist might have like a really like, like charge energy or you and you're like a mentor or like you and you're like religious leader and you can't, you can't and you shouldn't mistake like every kind of energy and excitement for being like secretly sexual. So that's something that I like to think about and read about. Cause I really do think that we have this, um, this bias or you know obviously like we really focus on romantic relationships often at the expense of friendships like friendships are seen as not good enough and there are arguments that we should reform marriage law you know why is it that i can marry some random person give them health insurance but i can't give my mom health insurance you know or like Mm -hmm. why is it that like only like romantic slash sexual relationships get all these legal benefits and i just can't have that with someone that i care about just as much as if they were my romantic partner but that i don't feel romantically toward so that's a lot of stuff that i like thinking about in relation to the book and hey if anyone's freaking out about the idea of marriage being redefined and used for other purposes (laughs) like for health insurance how about you just endorse universal health care uh, yes. Then we wouldn't have to tie it to marriage. <laughs> My friend just had a sham marriage so she could give a guy health insurance. And well, anyways. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think, uh, to use the, the, the term y'all, y'all use at your meetings, the, the alloy sexuals? Uh, which the is... aloe sexuals. Alloy is a metal. Al- <laughs> yeah. Wait, so then what does aloe mean? What does that prefix mean? It just means like, not like I don't, you know, I honestly don't know off the top of my head. It's in my book somewhere, but yeah, yeah. I've been doing so many interviews. Sure. I'm sorry. So, so what do you think allosexuals can learn about desire from your book? I mean, like, I think it just makes you question, like, am I really feeling sexual desire or like, is it? Is it romantic desire? Is it emotional desire? Is it aesthetic desire? Like, Do really, I need attention right now? Yeah, or do I need attention right now? Like, it really, I think, makes you look at the world more closely. Or, like, why do I... Like, I've had people be... Allos, be like, oh, um, like... In college, like, I had a friend, I felt like I was in love with them, but, like, how could that be? Because, like, I was not sexually attracted to them, and they were not sexually attracted to me. Like, it helps you understand your relationships um, so much better. Or, like, oh, like, what is romance? Like, we think the difference between romance and, like, platonic friendships is that you want to have sex, but 
ACEs prove that's not true. Like, what does it mean? Why do we focus so much on romance? Um, like, why is it that there's this idea that if you're a feminist woman, you have to love sex? Like, I think it just makes you see the world differently. Like, we talk about the queer lens, right? Like, the queer lens is not like a set of facts. It's like a way of seeing the world. And I think the ACE lens is the same thing. That's fantastic. Um, Angela, do you, do you have like an extra maybe, because uh, I might be putting you on the spot, so you don't have to if you don't <laughs> want to, but if you have like an extra like 10 minutes, I could ask you for a bonus episode asking you about kind of the common myths about asexuality. Yeah, for sure. Fantastic. Well, for now, where can people go find you? Where can they get your book? So best place to find me is Twitter. My handle is at Chengela, C-H-E-N-G-E-L-A. My name is Angela Chen. You can make your own assumptions. And the book, um, one good place where you can buy it is just search for it on Bookshop, which will support your local independent bookstore. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I look forward to reading Ace. I look forward to getting my hands on it because, uh, you know, you, you gave me some new things to chew on. And I, and I appreciate that. Uh, Patreon people, you can hear the bonus episode tomorrow. You know where to get that. But for now, Angela, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Really glad I got the chat with Angela. Really hoping I can get my hands on her book. Really interested in reading it and learning some more on the topic. I would love to know what you thought about this week's episode. You can shoot me an email with your comments, your questions, your titty pictures, your rantings and ravings about how people are attacking your pee-pee. <laughs> you can send all that over to manhorpod at gmail.com. I just saw some new podcast research data, and they said that the number one way people find out about new podcasts is through word of mouth and then social media. So I would love if you would share the Man War podcast with your friends and family and lovers. Post about me on your Instagram stories and shoot me a tag at Billy is Presida. Tweet about the show and tag me at the Billy Presida and you might see a retweet. And of course, if you want some sex positive memes, Man War podcast news, or you want to shop for some Man War merch, go smash that like button on the Man War podcast Facebook fan page. And as, uh, as many of you have been doing, and I hope continue to do, come on by my OnlyFans. There's a link in the show notes, but you can also just search Call Me Billy. Let's have a flirty fun time. And if you want to hear some myth-busting with Angela Chen, you can hear her bonus episode exclusively on Patreon tomorrow. Uh, that's going to be available for all of my $5 and up fan whores at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. Mm, next week, going to have a doozy. I've got on a fellow comedian, Reed Anderson, who, uh, who just came out as a trans man and whose girlfriend also recently came out as a trans woman and, well... That's a queer sitcom for Logo in the making, right? Really great episode next week. Can't wait to share with y'all. Stay slutty. Prepping for anal just got easier. Odile lets you go millimeter by millimeter instead of finger by finger. Enjoy an exclusive offer for Manhor Podcast listeners at manhorpod.com slash stretch. But hurry, this pre-order discount ends soon. One more time, head on over to manhorpod.com slash stretch.